Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. The first half of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about the rapture. And I, I hope and pray that you are um, not only anticipating the rapture, but looking forward to it uh, as well. Uh, the rapture is something that we should all be looking forward to. <clears throat> Uh, as I was preparing for this message, now I, I want to say this. Okay, let, let me let me say this. I, I received the the letter uh, that I just read part of to you. I received that yesterday. Okay, so my sermon was prepared long before I received the letter. Okay, uh, because he makes a couple statements in there that I'm gonna. I'm going to make that I had already written down before I got his letter. So I don't want you to think, okay, so just a little disclaimer there. But that, that's how God works, is it not? Um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> as I was preparing uh, this message, I was deeply disturbed by the way theologians view the event of the rapture. As I, I was doing, I, I read multiple uh, commentaries. I got online and was doing some research. And <clears throat> the different theological opinions range as far as the imagination can take you. And the, the, the date setting that, that theologians have done would, would boggle your mind. Um, especially and theologians should know this. Um, and let, okay, let me let me stop right here. Time out. Um, when I say theologians, uh, oftentimes people think of pastors as being being theologians, and, and that that's not that's not accurate. The, the, what I'm talking about are the the brainiacs that teach college that think they know everything. Okay, that had that you know it's they're kind of like politicians, but for the, the realm of faith. They, they think they know everything, but they really don't know anything. Um, anyway, I say that, um, it, but the, 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 the range and all of this stuff I was reading, I'm like, what is going on? And we are even told not to even try and guess the date. In, in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 36 to 30, 39, it says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not angels, uh, the angels of heaven, but the Father only. But as the days of Noah are, were, uh, so shall also come the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, Marry and giving in marriage, marrying and giving in marriage until the days of Noah uh, entered into the ark <clears throat> and knew not until the flood came and took them away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. See, we, we won't know. 
but these, you know, I, I say these, and, and there, there are truly a lot of good theologians out there. I, I take shots at theologians a lot, just, but there are really a lot of good theologians out there. But there are a lot of, that, that spend a lot of time, energy, trying to figure out what the author of the Bible was trying to say instead of what he said. Does that, does that make sense? And, and when I got that letter, I couldn't believe he basically said the same thing I was already thinking. I just don't understand the need to try and predict something that we're told we're not going to know. So I, I, I say all that to say this. As I was <clears throat> reading and studying and, and preparing I came up with a question, and because of all that, it caused me to think this, this thought. Why does Paul even talk about the rapture? Think about it. What, what would be the motivation? So, so that we can try and figure out when it is? So that we can look forward to it? Why? So, in order to answer that, we kind of have to go back to, to chapter 4, well, we talked about two weeks ago <clears throat> in, in chapter 4. And, and, and thir- in verses 13 to 18 of chapter 4, Paul um, talks about the rapture, but that port- portion of Scripture is not specifically about the rapture. It is about life after death for a believer, and he uses it in the context of the rapture. But in chapter 5, in verses 1 through 8, he is specifically talking about the rapture. So, why then does Paul talk about the rapture? Why does God include this in Scripture? And I believe the answer to that question is found in verse 6. Let's read verse 6. It says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. My feeling, and this is, this again, this is my opinion, I believe that the reason we are told about the rapture is for one reason, and that is to be alert. To watch and to be alert. Have you, well, let let me put it to you this way. Yesterday, I was driving through our neighborhood, and we have streets that are relatively wide. I mean, you you can put a car on either side and still, you know, two cars can still pass. And I was driving down a street in our neighborhood, and there was a guy coming at me right down the middle of the road. And I'm like, what is this idiot doing? And I had to literally, I almost had to get up on the sidewalk to, to, to not have an accident. And do you have any idea what that guy was doing as he passed me? Texting. Texting. <laughs> Sitting there on his phone doing this. Yeah, I could have, yeah. <clears throat> What is that called in our society today? 
Well, other than stupid, yeah. What? <laughs> that was a that was a stupid question, actually. <clears throat> had 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 I been a cop and had the ability to pull him over, other than throwing the book at him, what would the ticket have read? Distracted, distracted driving. See, we live in a world of distractions, do we not? I I, I heard of a of a of a person that got a ticket recently for eating while they were driving because they were swerving all over the road and they got a ticket for distracted driving even though they were eating. And how many of us have ever eaten and drive at the same time? We all do it. <clears throat> but distractive driving has become a, a huge problem. I believe with all my heart the reason Paul talks about the rapture in chapter 5 is so that we do not become distracted in our walk with him. So the title of my sermon this morning is Do <clears throat> excuse me, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Focus, be sober, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Don't be distracted. What we think and how we think <clears throat> affects what we do. What we think and how we think distracts what we do. If we don't think that texting and driving is an issue, then we're going to act in such a way that we're going to put lives in danger, are we not? See, Paul, I believe, again, that Paul is trying to get us to the point where we need to understand that we have a job to do. In my opinion, many theologians get distracted trying to figure out when and how the rapture is going to occur instead of understanding why we're given this information. So, point number one. We have knowledge. Knowledge. Let's read verses 1 and 2. It says in, in, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, we have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is come as a thief in the night. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us to serve you with our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I, I am going to come clean, if you would. Um, the subject of the rapture, the end times, is something that I, I personally am not super comfortable about preaching. Uh, it just there, there is so much information out there that it, it, that and there are so many opinions about the end times that I can almost guarantee that at the end of the at, at the end of the sermon uh, there are going to be people here saying, well, that's not what I've always heard and blah 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 blah. So so because of that, I'm I'm always very hesitant about preaching about the end times because there, there's, just, there's just so many opinions out there. 
So I'm going to, as often as I can, you will probably hear this often this morning, this is my opinion, okay? Uh, so please understand that uh, I am not a theologian. I am just a simple guy trying to communicate God's truth the best that I can. Okay? Are we, are we all clear on that? Okay. So there are three phases, uh, phases phrases in the two verses that we read that I believe set the stage for the rest of the, 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 the message, and that is this. <clears throat> the first phrase that I want to look at is, is found in verse 1. It is the times and seasons. Times and seasons. So immediately when we read that, we should think, okay, what is, what is Paul referring to when he says times and seasons? Okay, in order to understand that, you have to understand prophecy. And in prophecy, in the Old Testament, whenever God referred to times and seasons, he was always referring to the nation of Israel. So <clears throat> when Paul is writing here in 1 Thessalonians and he uses this phrase, he is referring to the nation of Israel. So how do we know that? Daniel chapter 2 in verses 20 and 21, And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge unto them uh, that know understanding. So God's plan for Israel, well, let, let, let me rephrase that. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. God also has a plan for every nation on the earth. I read a quote um, this week. Um, I really liked I'd never seen it before. But a guy named uh, A.T. Pearson, <coughs> excuse me, A.T. Pearson said this, history is his story. I like that. History is God's story. It's not ours. And <clears throat> it's important to understand that that phrase is specifically dealing with the nation of Israel. The second phrase I want to talk about, and this is where it can get a little controversial, uh, is the day of the Lord in verse 2. Uh, it says, uh, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is cometh uh, as cometh as a thief in the night. So the... the the phrase, the day of the Lord. Again, this has been interpreted by theologians, has been argued about for centuries. My opinion is, and I'm going to read some of this just so that you understand, so I, I don't want to misquote myself, so I'm going to read some of this. Okay, it is, I believe, it is a period of time that God will be at work in the affairs of men more directly than he has since the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. So, in other words, God, during this day of the Lord, it is a period of time where God is directly involved in the affairs of men, much like it was when Jesus Christ was here on earth. 
in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 to 11, it says, Behold, the Lamb of... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, uh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, uh, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of, of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened uh, in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the light for their, uh, excuse me, and the wicked for their iniquity, and will cause the uh, arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the tribulation to me. Okay? Now, does the day of the Lord, is it limited to the tribulation? I don't believe so. I believe that the day of the Lord starts at the rapture and goes through the millennial reign. Okay? Again, I, I, I don't... I. I hate being too technical because you, you lose people real fast. So I have a, I have a simple chart here, uh, and this was actually hard to find. Most charts are, are very, very, very much more uh, detailed, but this is just a simple, a simple chart uh, giving us a progression of the end times. So let me see here. Uh, you have the cross here. Then you have what we are in now. It's called the church age. <clears throat> then we have the rapture. Uh, seven years uh, of paradise while the tribulation takes place. And then we come down, have the, the thousand year millennial reign. And I believe from this point to this point is what is referring to as the day of the Lord. Okay. Does that make sense? Hello? Rattle your heads, do something. Okay. So, anyway, so that that is just a simple picture there of the day of the Lord. Now, the the thing the thing that I wanna I wanna concentrate on this morning is this this period right here. The verses that we just read in Isaiah chapter thirteen describe this this period of time here. Do do we believe the Bible? Talk to me. Do we believe the Bible? Yes. So if we believe the Bible, then what is this period of time going to look like here on earth? It's going to be hell on earth. Do we believe that? Okay. It's important because that's going to come back at the end of the message. So besides being a time of judgment during this seven-year period here, there will also be... A time of of um, uh, salvation. Uh, there will be people saved during this time. And again, uh, this I, I'm not here to preach on the end times, so we're not going to get into that. But there will be people saved during this time, even though it's going to be a very very difficult time. So the final outcome at this point here, okay, the the final outcome of the day of the Lord will be that the arrogance of men will be brought low and the pride of man humbled. 
Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 17. And the loneliness of men shall be brought down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So that's what's going to happen at the end of the millennial reign. Okay, the third phrase I want to talk about is also found in verse 2, and that is, as a thief in the night. This phrase can be interpreted two ways. It can be interpreted as Paul addressing the unsaved world. And him making this statement, he could be saying, hey, do not take for granted or think that you can <coughs> uh, uh, take for granted the gospel or the goodness of God. I want you to think about that for a second. Because a lot of people in our society today are, are doing that very thing. So, Paul could, have, could be addressing them. The other way, the second way that it could be interpreted is that he is warning believers not to be distracted. Let's look at uh, verse 2. It says, um, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord... So cometh. So the day of the Lord, including the tribulation period, uh, is going to be a, a horrific thing. He says, so cometh as a thief in the night. So it could be that Paul is trying to kickstart, if you would, the thinking of believers into understanding that the period of time that he's referring to is going to be a horrific time. In 1 Peter, in chapter 5, in verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Why, again, in, in, why does Peter warn us, basically, uh, of, of, of being diligent? Because we, we have a tendency to become complacent, do we not? We absolutely do. And in Titus, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, Teach us, uh, excuse me, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So, the idea here of, of sober, whenever you see the word sober in, 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 in Scripture, it is not talking about your uh, relationship to alcohol or drugs or anything like that. Uh, so much as it has, it just, it's telling us to be clear-minded. To be clear-minded. So, we are to be clear-minded or alert, not distracted. So, when we drive a vehicle, how should we drive? We should drive alertly. Is that not correct? We should not text. We should not do the things that we do while we drive oftentimes. Why? Because we can put somebody's life at risk. So, knowledge. We have knowledge. <coughs> Excuse me. Number two, motivation. Look at verse three. For when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, 
and they shall not escape. What motivates us to share the gospel? What was Paul? I, I believe one of the things here Paul was trying to do was motivate the Thessalonian believers into sharing the gospel because of the horrible things that's going to take place. What should what motivates us? See, he was he was di- discussing the the horrific events that are going to take place during that seven year period of time. The other day I was talking with someone who is unsaved and um, he, he, he said something to me and, and uh, he, this, he said something to the effect of it. He says, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, people are doing things that simply are insane. And, and uh, I, I looked at him and I said, well, I said, to be perfectly honest, it's just another sign that the return of Jesus Christ is soon. And he kind of looked at me, had this real puzzled look on his face, and turned around and walked away. Didn't know what to say. Are we not living in a, in a, in a world right now where wrong is right and right is wrong? Where the, the ridiculous is becoming normal? In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5, it says, uh, For uh, th- this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth, truth breakers, false accusers, Incontinent, fierce, uh, despisers of those uh, that are good, traitors, heady, mind, uh, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, if that doesn't describe our world today, I don't know what does. And when I said that to him, he just, he, he it just, I, I don't know what he, what he was thinking, but he just looked at me like I just kicked him in the, in the, in the gut and he turned around and walked away. He didn't say a word. But see, he needs to know what's coming. And I believe that Paul is trying to motivate the Thessalonian believers to continue to preach the gospel. See, <clears throat> I want you to notice another thing here in verse 3. Paul changes pronouns, okay? In verses 1 and 2, who's he talking to? He's talking to the brethren. In verse 3, it says, for when they... So he see, he changes pronouns, and he's not talking uh, t- uh, to the brethren. Who, who's he talking about in verse 3? They. Who are, who are the they? That they, the the they, uh, is answered in chapter four, in verse twelve. Look, look at look at chapter four and verse twelve. It says that the, uh, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye 
may have lack of nothing. So who, who are the them that are without? That's the unsaved. So who's Paul talking to in verse 3 here? We know specifically he's talking to the unsaved. And that the, the following things that he describes is what they're going to face. What motivates you to share the gospel? Knowledge should motivate us to share the gospel, not fight over when and how he's going to return. What motivates us to share the gospel? One of the things that I found pretty universal through my studying that most every theologian would agree on is that we are in what we call a period of grace. And that what I mean by that is all the pieces of the, the prophetic puzzle are in place. If you, if you understand prophecy, you would understand that every piece of the puzzle that has been handed down through prophecy is in place. So Jesus literally could come at any moment. But for whatever reason, he has chosen to show a period of grace to mankind. When literally, if the Lord had wanted to, excuse me, when the last piece of the puzzle was put in place, he could have returned right then. But he didn't. I want you to think about this for a second. God is giving mankind one more chance. This grace period is something that we have seen before. Very specifically, in the life of Noah. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. For the Lord said... My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Basically what this is saying is that from the time God told Noah that it was time to build the ark to the time that the flood happened was a hundred and twenty years. And what was Jonah doing during that, or Jonah, why do I keep saying Jonah? What was Noah doing during that 120 years okay he was he was doing two things and we'll get to that in just a minute so uh, action action look at verse 4 <clears throat> but ye brethren are not in the dark not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a, as a thief ye are the children of, of, of light and the children of the day. And ye are not of the light, nor dark, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober, that they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the, of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, and love, 
and for an helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation. Motivate a knowledge should motivate us to action. Knowledge should motivate us to action. So, I asked a question a moment ago. What did what did uh, I almost said it again? What did Noah do during that 120-year period of time? Okay, he preached. And what else? I'm sorry? Prepared where he built the ark. Okay? So, he did two things. Number one, he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. Again, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, we see that that period of time was 120 years. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing uh, in the uh, flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, for 120 years, roughly, Noah preached the gospel doing his best to share the good news, because that's what the gospel means. Gospel, the word gospel means good news. The word preach, what do, you, what do you think the word preach means? What I'm doing now? Okay, it, 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 it literally means to declare or to share. So for a, a roughly 120-ish years, Noah shared the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost world while simultaneous doing the second thing, and that is building the ark. So he, he preached or he shared the gospel simultaneously building the ark. See, what happened? Knowledge motivated him to action. See, he was obedient to God in the sense that he built the ark, But he was also motivated because he knew what the result of the rain was going to do. It was going to kill everybody on the earth. And he did everything in his power to share the gospel with those people, but they wouldn't listen. See, knowledge should motivate us to action. In Genesis chapter 7, in verse 5 to 7, it says, "And, And Noah did according unto all uh, that the Lord commanded him. Noah the, was the sixth, uh, was 600 years old when the, floods, uh, when the flood of water was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife, wi- and, and his wife and his sons' wives with him uh, into the ark because of the waters of the flood. In other words, Noah worked. Knowledge motivated him to action. Now, let's talk about us for a minute. Why is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1-8 through 8 here? Is it here so that we can stand on top of a mountain and say, Okay, God, it's time. You said it. I'm ready to go. 
let's go. Is that why it's in there? No, it's not. It's literally there to scare us to death so that we will be motivated into action. We have never lived in a generation more educated than the, edu- than the, than the generation that we live in now. We, ha- we are the best secularly, secularly, is that a word? Okay, we'll take it, okay? We are the most secularly educated generation ever. And we are the best, uh, the, the most biblically educated generation ever. We have more knowledge about God than ever before. But the problem is we don't know God. We know all about God, but we don't know Him. The Bible is by far the best-selling book of all times. No other book, fact or fiction, even comes close. Most estimates place the number of Bibles printed each year of over 100 million each year. These are statistics from last year. 100 million Bibles each year. 20 million of those Bibles are sold each year in the United States alone. We have no excuse. We have the knowledge. This is, this is by, by all measurements, the most educated generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. But it is also the least motivated generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. We have all kind of knowledge. I want you to look at another biblical picture of the day and time that we live in. In Revelation chapter 3 and verses 15 to 17, it's talking about the church of Laodicea. And, 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 and the Lord says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Again, Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea is a description of of the day and time that we're living in. We cannot lose sight of why Paul wrote about the rapture. 
See, Paul could have very easily talked about the rapture and left out all the gory details of what's going to happen to the unsaved to get us excited about it. He could have very easily done that. But why did Paul, why did God include these eight verses in, in, this, in, in the Bible? And I believe that it is to motivate us into action. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question, and don't say anything. This is just between you and God. When's the last time you preached or shared your faith with someone? Earlier, we all said that we believe this book. Earlier, we said that the things that are going to happen during the tribulation are real things that are going to happen. If that's true, when's the last time you've tried to share your faith to keep somebody from going through that horrible event? See, knowledge should motivate us to action. We live in a world surrounded, we are surrounded by people, absolutely surrounded by people that need the gospel that need to hear the good news. My closing question is, what are we doing about it? What are we doing?